This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, 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 flamethrowers. Welcome to Burn It All Down. Lindsay Gibbs here, and I am so, so excited to be joined by our great friend of the show, Sarah Spain. You all probably know her as uh, ESPN. What do I call you? Uh, host, commentator, around the horn guest. I think the uh, shortest. Radio. Yeah, the shortest <laughs> is writer, radio host, and TV personality, which allows for me to either be hosting or acting as a panelist slash talking head slash reporter. I like that TV yeah. personality. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Spain, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're actually here, though, to talk about a new title for you, <laughs> which is a co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars of the National Women's Soccer League. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. So exciting. Now, I just like I hate starting with broad questions, but I don't know where else to start except for how did this happen? <laughs> Take me through. Um, that's like, exactly what I would be asking yeah. as well. Uh, it's very surprising. Um, I'll try to keep it fairly short, but um, Abby Wambach was honored at the ESPYs alongside Peyton Manning and Kobe Bryant. They all retired the same year, and she was on stage with them feeling incredibly honored to be uh, considered in their in their pairing. And they all talked about you know wrapping up their careers. And then as she walked off the stage, she thought to herself, now I got to start a whole new career. And these guys are set. They can go into anything they want or nothing at all, whereas I have to figure out what else I can do to make money and start fresh. And she told that anecdote at a Time's Up event. And Natalie Portman, one of the co-founders of Time's Up, was there and was thinking to herself how BS it is that women could have the same number of hours and tears and injuries and passion and devotion to something that they love. They can work their entire lives at sport and be done with it and have so little to show for it in terms of both monetary gains and also cachet and power within the sports world compared to their male counterparts. And she was like, this is BS. How do we fix this? What can we do? And you know, part of Abby Wambach's book, Wolfpack, was about if they don't offer you a seat at the table, build a new table um, instead of trying to find more chairs or all the other solutions that are good, but like, let's not even think that small. Let's just build a whole table. And so that's what Angel City FC is, the the expansion team that starts play next year in the NWSL. And that 60 plus, I think now, group of owners was such an inspirational um, deviation from what we've all become used to. And I saw it and I thought, well, that's cool. And my friend Julie Foudy is an owner. You know, now Julie Foudy is my friend, but she's also one of the greatest soccer players of all time and a <laughs> Hall of Famer and a 99er and an analyst and all these other amazing things. Um, so, you know, we're not the same. 
But the fact that she was working at ESPN and is not a good bajillionaire like Jerry Jones, um, very successful, but she doesn't have a yacht that looks like it's in James Bond, um, had me thinking, oh, so this is this is something that could look different than what we all became used to. So I ended up having Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach on my podcast and panel for the SVW Summit. They're both co-owners of Angel City, and they kind of mentioned you know, the, the process and doing it. And I was like, well, I want to be an owner. You know, I'm a Red Stars fan. I, you know, I had thrown a party at the Red Stars game a couple years ago just to try to get people to come out and check out a game and see how great it was for no other reason than just I loved the product and I thought it was a lot of fun. And so I ended up, the owner came to the party I threw. Um, I had had um, Budweiser sponsor and Malnati. So I was giving away all sorts of free pizza and beer and Malort shots and telling everyone, you know, buy your tickets and then come party with me and let's check out a game. So I started talking to the owner about it and it wasn't until October of this year, again, I may have manifested it slightly by mentioning it in my panels and podcasts, like, I want to own the Red Stars, um, but not knowing that they actually were thinking about doing a capital raise and expanding their ownership group. So he reached out to me last fall, and almost immediately once I talked to my financial advisor and looked at how feasible it was to 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 put in the amount for the shares that were required or, or requested, um, then I was like on board, and then it was just months of waiting to be able to tell everyone about it. That would be the hardest secret in the entire world to keep. Yeah. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> it's one of the only ones I have. I have a very big mouth. Yeah. yeah. Or I, I would have done lots of like, uh, what's that thing they call like vague booking? Like, oh, where I did you're that like on- for sure. Okay. <laughs> a lot of like wink, wink, or like, I have some news. <laughs> tell yeah. you later. Um, I did tell a couple friends and of course my family, but um yeah. You know what? It was also a little self-serving because it was like, my little leak is not going to be as cool as when there's actually like a, a big press announcement. So it was partly like, this is worth keeping the secret. Absolutely. So what does it mean when you're a co-owner? Because like you said, how many are in this group with you now? So there's 60 for LAFs. Um, yeah. For, so there's, uh, I think, City. 16 for us right now. Um, and it does depend on the team. And it does depend on, at least for our group and from what I've heard from the other teams, a lot of it is dependent on your desire to be proactive versus more of an ambassador versus more of, um, you know, just a a face. Um, And so for our group, the goal was really to get people who had direct Chicago ties, who were part of almost, I think, um, Colleen Mares, who's a Chance the Rapper's manager, she's in the music industry, really young, like badass. Um, she kind of described it as an octopus where there were all, each of us was a different leg that could reach out to marketing or music or entertainment or merch or PR or anything. Um, and so um, the group that we're with has been in meetings for about one to two hours every Friday since the early part of this year, since January. So a couple months now of really everybody being on board to meet every week and everybody, you know, some of the cool things that have already come out of it are Israel Adonage, former Chicago bear telling Arnim, you know, your, your opinions on a team concierge are dated and are not the best way to make sure that talent wants to stick around. Arnim always thought, why would I need a concierge when I was you know, 20 and moved to a new town. I didn't have someone showing me every little step of the way. I think it's good for them to like learn. Mm. And Israel was like, "Uh, uh-uh, anything that distracts from the focus, which is to be the greatest at what they do 
is is not your priority. And some of these people may come from the middle of nowhere or not be used to a big town. And if you could take away any of their concerns by having this team concierge position that's worth the cost, that can help them with anything from housing to meals to nutrition to transportation to finding things to do outside of soccer, like that's going to help your team. And so um, it's been really cool to have him. And then um, Kendall Coyne Schofield's husband, Michael, is also an NFL player. So for them to chime in about their experiences as professional men's players and what kind of benefits they have and how things work for them and how can we get the women to experience the same quality as best we can with obviously a different budget and, you know, a smaller league, everything else. Um, and then, you know, Colleen chiming in. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With her connections to the music industry and designers where we try to create some like signature merch that we hope blows up like the WNBA sweatshirt or, you know, stuff that's going to translate to people who aren't even necessarily a big Red Stars fan yet, but might be, you know, try to get them rocking the merch and get the, you know, people to, to be more aware of the team. Um, so it's been really cool to be in those meetings and see and hear everybody offer different perspectives from their, from their background. So for us, People are quite involved, um, but for other teams, I know that there are certainly people that are more of just um, ambassador types. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there 
daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash burn. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-R-N. So how would like, how do the decisions like do you, is there a voting majority? Like, do you guys have a say in kind of regular decisions? Like just logistically? We haven't had anything that had to actually come to a vote yet. So mm-hmm. Arnhem is still the majority odor. And then right. um, Brian Walsh, who's representing a couple members of his family who all put in together is, I think they're calling it deputy. Um, and so he's got significantly more shares than the rest of the owner investors. Um, so he's a, sort of the deputy and he's on some of the paperwork and some of the stuff that requires, you know, if you have more more than one one owner. Um, uh, but Arnhem's goal was, first of all, equal equity across all shares and that the voices are all in there for good reason. And we, he truly wants the ownership room to represent people of color, LGBTQT plus women, different backgrounds, different experiences, and to value the people whose opinions matter on the things that they're chiming in on, whether that's the anthem or, you know, how much money is spent on facilities or, you know, expansion draft and 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 how you appeal to players once there are other teams added in where they have a choice to go. And um, so, so far, we haven't had anything that really came down to a fight, but it's early. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and um, the thing that so far it feels like is best idea wins or most qualified wins, right? So not the person who has the most money, but the one who comes from the space that probably makes them best qualified to make a decision on whatever that thing is. Um, but I'll keep you updated. Yeah, keep, <laughs> please. You know, I want to know about the drama. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, especially because I mean, going forward. Um, I think this is going to be a really big year. There's been a, a players union or players association and um, it's been recognized, but they've been putting off having a collective bargaining agreement um, because just trying to get the league really stable, um, which I actually don't agree with. I think they should have done a CBA a while back, but that's uh, that's learning from the what the WNBA did way back when. But I think it's going to happen this year. And so I'm wondering how much like an expanded ownership group like, you know, has a say in those negotiations so we haven't got to that in particular yet we've certainly basically a lot of our meetings in the last couple of months have been arnim like downloading us on all the stuff that he's known for 13 years of being an owner right. the red stars are the oldest and winningest he's been through the ups and downs and highs and lows and so it's really a matter of telling us here's how allocation works but now it's changing here's our relationship with u.s soccer but now it's changing here's you know a lot is in flux and there's a lot of information and for people like me who like to joke i've never had a real job even though i work very hard i've never had to sit a meeting and use like corporate speak and say like let's put a pin in that and get back to our you know fourth quarter <laughs> race whatever um i don't do that stuff and so it's been a, like a little mini business school to to hear and be a part of 
learning about some of the stuff like, you know, percentage of concessions or what's our stadium deal and how long and all that other stuff that I don't usually really think about. Um, yeah, you know, one of the interesting things has been, you know, that I've made a lot of, <laughs> of my work be about calling to task the people who are not properly investing in women's sports, treatment of players, et cetera. Um, so I was, I was intrigued by, and there wasn't much of it. There was a little criticism in the sense of now the people who are becoming owners are just part of the assholes. Like there was no gray area there of like, we would join this because we want to make it better. We want to be the gold standard for a women's league. We want to take all these ideas we have and actually be part of the people making the decisions. It was as if all of a sudden we've transitioned to the dark side and (laughs) That's not going to happen, first of all, at least not for me. I'm not joining this, and and particularly in a league like the NWSL, which I do think is a good, smart business investment, but not right away. Like, I'm not expecting this. I'm not in this for ROI next year so I can be like, oh, look at all this money I made. I'm in it because I want to build it smartly and wisely so it's around for the next couple generations, and that's going to involve making it something that's beneficial to the players and is sustainable, right? So it's not simply showing up and throwing money at something, not understanding whether that allows it to keep going a decade from now, but also that I'm not going to be a part of anything that doesn't represent the players the right way. And a lot of people, I think, are conflating things like, the U.S. Soccer um, Federation and their relationship with the U.S. Women's National Team. That is a nonprofit federation whose stated goal and purpose is to grow the game of soccer for boys and girls, women and men, and they dump way more money into the boys and men even when they aren't good. They do not invest in the women no matter how much the women outperform expectations, blow the doors off, ratings and merch sales and everything else. That is a whole different thing than a private for-profit league that still wants to pay the players and do well, but is not operating on the same system. So I, I, I want people to keep those separate, right? The idea of what U.S. <laughs> soccer decides to do with the U.S. women's national team, of course, is related because it's a lot of the same players, but it's not the same as what's happening in the NWSL. And so um, I do think that maybe compared to some other things, I'd like to think that the people in this league are on the same side. Now, that can only go so far. Right. And we saw with the WNBA what a benefit it was to figure out how to empower the players while while working with the league to try to find the best way to benefit both. But right now, it seems like an incredibly positive relationship between players and owners because it's still in its infancy. Right. It's just about to hit 10 years. And so anybody who's in on this thus far has mostly been losing money. So to accuse them of not wanting, you know, it to succeed or to be, you know, not keeping profits for the play, you know, that's um, it, it. What it comes down to is, are you investing enough to make it succeed? And if you're not, that is absolutely worthy of criticism. You have to treat it like a startup. You have to invest in it if you want it to succeed. Um, but it's a whole different story than what's going on with U.S. soccer, you know, claiming that women's lungs work differently and all the other bullshit yeah. that they try to use. <laughs> totally. So, but... But I will say because I'm a journalist and because I've been in those this world, those things are very top of mind to me. And I am pulling no punches in these meetings. I am asking, what's our what's our harassment policy? Where do people report? Um, what happens um, when you know allocations change? How do we how does that affect our salaries for our players? You know, training all the stuff. Like I'm I'm on top of it and I'm fine with making things uncomfortable if it means that we're gonna make sure that we're doing things the best way possible. I think there's just like this this there is this mistrust, right, sometimes between, like, fans and ownership. And, you know, I think back and I think it was 
Actually, my very first Power Place newsletter, which was about how the myth that women's sports are in peril is often perpetuated by those in charge of them. Yes. For some reason, they like get off on being well, like- Well, the WNBA for sure. We're losing yeah. millions. And you're like, who does that? No one does that when they want it to grow. It's just so yeah. ridiculous. And it makes me so angry, you know, and it and it treats it like I'm in this because it's a it's a charity right. for me, not a business. And you should, you should respect me for doing this at all for deigning to give any time and investment to that. And, um, you know, it's the owners of the Seattle Storm, who, of course, are a group of three fans who bought the team, um, you know, first all-female ownership group, I think, in in pro sports. And they were fans who, when the team was going to move to Oklahoma City, they were like, (laughs) no. (laughs) And so it's kind of the same thing. They're like, we're not billionaires, but we're all successful um, business women. Let's figure out a way. And they did it. And of course, I think the Seattle Storm franchise has been pretty successful. But I had one of their owners, Jenny Gilder, on the podcast recently, and she was talking to me about how... You know, she hopes that with the WNBA at this inflection point where it's getting close to being, quote unquote, yeah. really successful, right? Like, like, like right. There, it, it, we're, we're moving closer to that. That there's a different relationship between owners mm-hmm. and players than men's sports has, right? That And the men's sports model has often been so contentious, right? So litigious, so... Um, uh, so corporate and that, you know, hoping that there, there, there can be kind of a different model where, you know, we are all on right. the same page. Um, and so I wonder both kind of, have you thought about that going in the future a- and also just being in these rooms now, you know, being, seeing the other side of it, um, What's kind of the biggest thing? Has there been any big eye-opening moments where you've seen behind the clouds and, you know, and you're like, oh, this looks very different. None of those <laughs> yet. And I think probably because I have worked in this in this business and in this in this yeah. world, like right, trying to unearth some of the things and understand better how things work. Um, I, I, I wonder if some of the folks from different fields are, are more in the background, like, oh, I, you know, I didn't realize this was how it worked. But um, I would say that the balance, like I said, is always going to be push, push, push for the investment to allow for expansion. I always use this analogy, but I think it's so simple. We give our sons $5 and we give our daughters a dollar. And then we come back five years later and we ask our daughters why their business isn't doing as well. And we do it over and over again. And that's what we do with women's sports. We're not going to give you any coverage, any time, any airtime, any interesting stories, any interviews, any long form, we're going to give you very little money. And then we're going to say that we hold you up next to a product that's been around for decades longer with tons of investment and shrug. That's not how it should be, right? But there's an example, and I will speak only lightly on this because I don't have a ton of deep information on it. But I remember the iteration of the National Women's Hockey League a couple years ago, there was this very young CEO and she had big plans and she really wanted to crush it. And she promised a lot for pay and insurance and everything else. And it did not last hardly a season even. I don't even know if it made it a season. And so that's the thing is you need to be sustainable while simultaneously investing. And that's why people who are critical of this new look NWSL, the biggest part of it is safety net. 
safety net, all of these people putting in all this money means let's go out and do the things we've always wanted to do that we've looked at the bottom line and said, if we do that, we are losing even more or we're risking, you know, possibility the of playing, paying the players this or that. Um, so I think just an influx of capital into a product like this is massive, in part because we can reframe for Arnim, our majority owner, who's been at this for years, things that in the past he thought, well, I would want to do that, but stuff like when we complain about merch, like we shouldn't be excited when women's merch sells out the first day. That means that they did not plan ahead for how many people wanted it. And then when people (laughs) want it, they can't buy it. And then later they say there's not a lot of demand. Well, there was a lot of demand. You didn't sell as much because you didn't have it. Things like that, that I'm not making excuses, but for Arnhem and the Red Stars, it was if we buy too much of this and then we don't sell it, now we have a profit loss like a loss on our hands because we have a bunch of merch sitting around that didn't sell versus if we order it when it's when it's ordered, it takes longer to get to people, but we're only making what's ordered. And then people don't have their stuff in time. You know, that stuff is frustrating for fans. Um, so stuff like that, that just becomes much easier because you've got a safety net of, of a lot more money to fall back on. Um, and that's where I want the balance to be is, of course, stay sustainable. Make sure that this grows at a, at a rate that is that is something that we can promise for generations that if you take your daughter now and your son now, then he could take his kids and they could versus like, let's let's make it so fancy and amazing, but not think about, you know, how we're how we're planning ahead. Yeah. And I love what you say about, you know, having these stakeholders in different industries feel invested in it, right? Because, and I think we are seeing more across maybe feminism at large, you know, (laughs) however you define that, you know, of people realizing the role that women's sports plays in that and how important that that is and that they can do something about it. I'll never forget speaking to a group of lawyers in D.C. doing this panel. And I think everyone thought it was just going to be kind of on the equal pay issue about women's soccer. But we, you know, I, of course, made it, you know, <laughs> got it, got all track and made it bigger. <laughs> and one of the things I told them ended up kind of preaching to them was like, you know, you have this team here in D.C. Like, uh you know how men always take their clients to sporting events, take your clients to the mystics Mm -hmm. games and everything. And I had 30 of these people email me afterwards saying they literally never, it had never even occurred to them and that they were going to do that. That's what I've been doing with all the people I know here in Chicago. I'm like, Hey, first of all, sponsorships, let's get into it. And Hey, (laughs) let's think about if you had a suite, if you could take your clients here and how many clients would think that was more interesting than doing the same old, same old and going to a Cubs game and you know, one of them, they have a lot of like interior designer and architect clients. And I'm like, think about all those people and maybe their families want to come and this is a better experience. And um, yeah, it's it's got to be a part of people's thinking. Mm-hmm. And in order for it to be there, it has to be uh, in the spaces that they're in. And it has to be talked about. And that comes back again to just awareness and publicity and PR. And that's another reason why it's great to have people in all different businesses and fields. Um like, you know, as much as I fear Angel City going and stealing all the players because sounds like a fun place to play and hang out with Jennifer <laughs> Garner and Billie Jean King and Serena and everybody else, um, I'm so grateful to them because you bring in all that. And that's the other thing we always say about women's sports. They have to be cool. And I think we infantilize them too often because the connection that people are willing to support is the inspiration for the next generation part, which is, of course, huge. But it's also badass to watch right now. Yeah. It doesn't need to be the top line anymore. And, and <laughs> like, guess what kids want? Whatever older people like. 
So if you make it edgy and cool and badass for older older people, adults and older kids, then the little ones want to get into what they're into. We don't have to market to children. We don't have to only market to families. And we don't have to make it pure and sweet all the time. We can make it edgy and badass and fierce and cool and all the things that make someone like Megan Rapino go from a soccer star to a worldwide superstar that everybody thinks is I think I wrote this. She's no longer aspirational. She's instructional. I'm not just, no. I want to be her. I'm like, I'm going to do what she's doing. I'm going to follow what she's saying and putting out there. And I'm going to make myself in the image of what she's presenting. And um, I think we just don't do that enough in women's sports. And I think the WNBA has done a much better in recent years, much better job of, you know, talking about the players drip and talking about what they're into in terms of music and like all the stuff instead of just pictures of players with little girls. That's great. But it also presents such a different vibe from the guy players that we all think are these like cool, like wannabe, you know, personalities. We got to do that with the women. You always say like we, their inherent existence is inspirational. What is inspirational is you investing in them. Not you, not you writing as your slogan, like this is inspirational. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like the, the Shiro kind of like, uh, I think it's now being called inspiration porn, just like constantly using. That's what I always call it. I I forget what the last FIFA world cup like slogan was for the women, but I remember it was awful. Yeah. And I honestly, I'm not quite as cynical on that. I do think that there are people that we want to get to that are going to come in through that door. That's not the only door. So let's, you know, and I do think yeah. also the, there, there's this constant thin line of you don't want to cheerlead for women's sports where you then one dimensional coverage where you never talk about the fights or the drama or the, the criticisms or anything else. And that's not as interesting as what we see draws interest in other places. But because there's so much cynicism and and misogyny around women's sports, you also don't want to be too critical because there's plenty of people already doing that that aren't supportive. So it's finding that balance. And I think that just making it cool, making it the way, and the U.S. Women's National Team is a perfect example. Everyone wants to wear their jerseys, talk about them around the water cooler, ask people if they saw the game, go to watch parties. Like All that stuff is exactly what we want for you know, and you mentioned the Seattle storm. I mean, can you get any cooler than Sue Bird? Right? That's what we want. You cannot. (laughs) You cannot. cannot. Um, So let's talk, you've talked about coverage a lot. And this is where, and I did see some criticism of this when you were announced. And I think some of it's legitimate. Like it's, it's a little bit of a conflict of interest here, right? (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know if, um, you know, I think we would criticize a male ESPN personality, right? If they became a big owner of one of the men's sports teams. Yeah. So I'm sure you saw that coming. You understand all this. So how do you balance that? How did you handle this with ESPN? And just kind of how are you going to walk this tightrope? Yeah. So it was a, it was a, one of the first things was go to ESPN and make sure this is okay. Um, know that there will always be a disclosure anytime the NWSL comes up, potentially even women's soccer. Now, this is brand new. I I had already had a vacation scheduled for literally a, like two days after this announcement. Okay. So I had a little bit of a break. So now I have to bunker down and, and re, reestablish contact with the folks and just say, okay, where do we think we draw the lines? Is it is it just NWSL? Is it U.S. Women's National Team? Is it whatever? Um, but so the full disclosure of my, of my co-ownership um, – and the same with everything that leads the way in my journalism is fairness and accuracy. I saw someone point this out and I think it's valid. 
I probably wouldn't be allowed to do this with the NFL. Mm-hmm. But we have a major rights deal with the NFL. The NFL is a majority of our coverage. It's a bulk of the time we spend. The NWSL is mostly talked about when I'm on a show telling people to watch the Red Stars. You know what I mean? Like, of course, that's not true. There's plenty of of, of soccer folks at ESPN that that direct coverage and interest to it. But um, it's a really young team or league. It's a young league. And so it's it's just fair or not, it's not the same conflict as if it were something that we have a deeply rooted um, investment in financially and also coverage-wise, it's going to be the bulk across every platform I'm on. Um, I completely understand people who want to be critical of it. Um, I, if I were a beat reporter in any capacity of any sport, I think it would be pretty different. Um, yeah. I'm not, right? I'm an opinion mm-hmm. giver, like I said, TV personality, which is yeah. allows me to, if I'm doing an E60 story, be very journalistic in my approach to it. And if I'm writing for ESPNW, everything's vetted and it's got to be all facts. But a lot of it's also opinion. That's usually where I sit is giving my opinion about facts and doing it in the most fair way that I think. I'm also never going to make millions of dollars because I do it in a fair way. And yeah. I tell, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I think it's pretty clear do, by yeah. now that I prioritize that over making um, people angry and, and driving up my paychecks by virtue of like doing that stuff. So um, if people don't want to believe me, they don't have to for sure. They can. But I mean, I would suggest I just I just had the commissioner of the NWSL on my podcast. I would suggest listening to it. I asked her about the anthem. I asked her why they haven't released more detail into Deloy Hansen and what went down in Utah. And wouldn't it be better to learn from it by being transparent and release it? I asked her about expansion and how do you not dilute the product? Like, I'm not going to change my job or who I am for this, but I think I can do even more in terms of supporting, growing, shining a light on, and influencing this league from within than I could by simply writing about it. And so for me, that's worth it. And maybe I don't write a story about the Red Stars that I would do once a year where I would say, Red Stars are hoping for an Olympic bump. And here's what the owner says about their return from the, the World Cup. And, and here's how the percentage of sales. Like, maybe that story doesn't happen. But maybe, maybe you know, I create a column called the owner's box or something. Actually, I probably won't use box because that's phrasing. The owner's suite or something like that. <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> um, and, you know, find a way to still give the commentary and thoughts that I have, but make it very clear the perspective. Um, that's all stuff I'm going to figure out. And again, there are pl- plenty of people, especially deep down journalists are willing, are, are welcome to criticize. Um, I didn't go to journalism school. My work is always hovering between the fact that I want to be on Saturday Night Live. My, my, uh, my post college education was completing the second city conservatory while all of you are in journalism. So I, I do it all and I want to do it all. And this is part of that. And, you know, uh, call me on it. Keep me honest. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's like you said, it's part of transparency. It's part of disclosure. And it's part of, you know, uh, you, you have to be open to criticism for it and do it anyways, if, if it's yeah. what you feel passionate Well, and I'm about. sure you know this, but it's made me a better person to be a very on the internet person who speaks about things that matter to me because I can't be a hypocrite. Right. If I want to say do X and Y and then my behavior doesn't match that, people can call me out. And there have been times where I've been like, you know what? You're right. I effed up or I didn't say the right thing or I didn't do that right. And I'm still learning. And that's made me be a better person because I'm constantly being checked. And I'm now checking myself before someone else can and saying, oh, don't say that or don't do that or don't 
be, be a part of that. Um, whether it's something as dumb as like fat shaming James Harden, right? Or like, yeah. you know, stuff that like, okay, that's not who you are just because everyone else is doing it. Like hold yourself to a different standard for all these things. And so I want that for this too. I want people to keep doing that because, you know, who knows? All of my shares could go to my head and all of a sudden I could start wearing a monocle and a top hat and pretending that I don't know all the like, you know, the, the lesser people. So I got to make sure, well, you know, I don't end up on a uh, Jerry Jones yacht somewhere. <laughs> well, we know you're a billionaire already, Sarah. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> oh, don't even throw that out there without context. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this, the group of trolls on the internet who are convinced that you're married to a billionaire yeah. and that's the only uh, version it's of very sad. Success. And sadly, we're yeah. not even close to billionaires. So like when I say we're not, people just think, oh, they're probably just like really rich, but not officially billions. We're not even close. We're not even <laughs> close to billionaires. And guess what? You do not need to be close to a billionaire to be a part co-owner of an NWSL team. You just right. have to be successful and have worked hard and be someone that they think will add value. And uh, I am, listen, I'm not going to, here's the problem. I'm not going to diminish how hard I've worked for what I've earned so I can appease people who are bullshit anyway and don't care. So I'm going to tell you, I've worked very hard for the money that I have. And this was a very big investment for me. I've never invested in anything, but it is not a very big investment for plenty of other people who have shit tons of money. Um, so I'm not, but I'm not going to undersell how cool this is for me and how, how meaningful it was to be asked to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, we're not billionaires, sadly. And um, also, I do not have a 27 inch waist. I also think that's important that people know because that was in the same article. Also, I'm not 32. Um, yeah. But if you guys want to share those more widely than you do that my husband's a billionaire, I, I would be fine not as not as often correcting those misunderstandings. Um, oh, the internet is a uh, fascinating place. Uh, all right, final question. This is going to go off, but this is just kind of something. And, uh, you know, if you're not comfortable asking this, I know that you work for ESPN. And so, you know, you respect it. But what would you like to see kind of going forward? ESPN both has so much power. So it both gives so much coverage to women's sports compared to a lot of places, right? At the same time, it's still a very small percentage right. of overall what they do. What do you think uh, ESPN can do better when it comes going forward in, in terms of women's sports coverage as a whole? I think you set that up perfectly because there is a ton of women's sports coverage, but a lot of times it doesn't infiltrate the major properties that a lot of people are going to watch to see whether ESPN is covering women's sports, right? right. They're not going to watch the hours of softball and women's basketball and everything else on our air. They're not going to read a lot of the SBNW stories or they're not going to listen to the great podcasts. They're going to focus on whether First Take talked about it. And when First Take doesn't, they're going to use that as a microcosm for the larger ESPN ethos on, on women's sports. I don't think that's wholly unfair. I think that there needs to be a place on the platforms that are most watched. I think there needs to be a better diversity of coverage on those shows because sometimes the radio slate or the TV slate is the same things back to back to back. And especially on days when there isn't anything interesting in men's sports and they force something dumb. I'll tell you, I'm the first person on around the horn to be like, Hey, you know what we should do instead of this? Let's do, you know, the women's final four. Did you see this game? Or let's do this player who set this record. And I love reality and the producers of around the horn because they almost always are like, you're right. That's awesome. Let's do it. Right. Um, I don't know if there are people in the spaces for some of the other shows pushing for that. I think it's more interesting. I think that we've we've made very clear as ESPN that when we tell stories, people find them interesting. 
right? Yes. It's not, right. <laughs> let's guess whether they'll find this interesting and then not do it because we're guessed wrong. Let's give it to them. And I always use this example. I'm like, you mother, can I swear? I feel like I need to get this oh, one out. 100%. Okay. <laughs> this felt like an important time to say, you motherfuckers watch Little League World Series and you yeah, get yeah. into it. And those are just little children playing baseball. And I love it too. But guess why you like it? Because we tell you who they are and we tell you the stakes and we give you their stories and then we put it on and we tell you it's important. And then you guys think it's important too. Guess what? You would do the same shit for women's sports if we told you the stories and the stakes and, the, and we gave you the time and we told you it was important. Um, so whenever anyone says, well, it's not the best version of it, I'm like, you watch 10-year-olds yeah. play. Also, the World Series of Poker, ESPN invented right. that market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're really good at telling you, here's something you should be interested in. And then you guys yeah. being like, you're right. It is interesting. So let's mm -hmm. do that with the other stuff. And let's not keep it so surface level that it's only when a player does something wrong, which is usually when it makes the news, right? It's either they have to win the biggest thing in the history of the world, like, oh, they won the World Cup. Let's talk about it for five minutes. Or it has to be a domestic violence arrest or something like that, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of middle ground. But so much of that, too, is the more coverage and your your newsletter and other people who are working in this space are helping because you got to have things to talk about. And if you don't know things, like, and uh, listen, I'll tell you, there were people at ESPN that I called out for Sabrina Ionescu. And I'm like, yeah. dude, you should have known it after the second game. There is not, and now to be fair, there's plenty of people who say plenty of NBA names wrong too. And I'm like, all right, guys, it's, it's Dennis Schroeder, not Schroeder. <laughs> and you're an yeah, NBA yeah. analyst. So I think you should know that. But yeah. with Sabrina, I was like, you just tell yourself the very first time you hear Ionescu that that's how you say it. And then you make yourself remember it so that when you talk about her, you give her respect because what she's doing is incredible. And if you don't, then you've made it clear that you don't think that's important for your job. But we're expected to know every other little detail of everything. So put the work in. And guess what? Then you'll have the stories to tell. I love Adam Amin. He's uh, called a, a ton of women's sports, but now he's calling Bulls games. And the other night they were talking about Zach Levine had a good chance. And I want to say it was like 50-40-20, but I can't remember the exact stat. It's something that Elena Deladon did a couple years ago. Only woman ever. 50-40-90. 50-40-90. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 90 for free throws. And... um. And in the middle of this graphic that's all NBA players, he said, oh, he'd, Zach would be the first one if he kept on this pace since yada yada. Um, but Elena Deladon did it a couple years ago in the WNBA, the first woman. Knew it off the top of his head, wasn't on the graphic, just something he knew from being in that world. And he brought it to the table because she was deserving of that mention. And yeah. that's all you want, right? The same way that people do know enough about, say, UConn women's basketball to say occasionally to make a comparison. Oh, this feels like when the UConn women's basketball team was so dominant that we couldn't decide whether it was bad for the game or good for the game. And they'll use that to talk about a men's sport. And you're like, that's we need more of that where we respect it from this place to this place. And that requires work. And listen, I, I will admit, it's, it's hard to keep up with everything. It really oh, is. God. It's really hard to know all the things. But if you want to talk about something, you put in a little work and you bring something to the table and make it interesting. And that's where I think they could improve. I think the depth of coverage, the breadth is, is pretty good. It's really good compared to everywhere else. And it could still be more. But it's hitting those major kind of big shows that everyone kind of keeps tabs yeah. on. And making them once, it, better. It's, it's that cool factor, right? Yep. Like that, yep. once again, remember, you know, because sometimes I'll monitor these just because, you know, I think accountability helps sometimes, yeah, right? For like sure. when you can point, you can say, I, you know, I, we looked at your topics for a full week, yep. right? Yep. And, and you did, uh, 
10 topics on Tom Brady's tweets and yep. one on a women's yep. sport, right? Like that's I love know, it when you it. do that cuz <laughs> Yeah. I'm not in charge. I'm just like you. I'm just the one who nags people. <laughs> I have yeah. heard it helps behind the scenes occasionally for people who are advocating, but um but yeah, I mean it's so good and I have to say that I've noticed the work that you've been putting Thank in you. to educate yourself and to use your platform and you can and to just like naturally do it. And I see others, I see Clinton Yates, of course I see, you know, I think Around the Horn is probably one of the best examples of um, including, you know, women's sports in the conversation, just uh, not as a, a charity yeah. or as a special segment, yeah. but as like sports. Yeah, because like, it is. It's yeah. actually, it's <laughs> sports. <laughs> Um, but Sarah, thank you so much for being on Burn All Down. It was way overdue. And um, we're just so excited for this, uh, this opportunity for you. And just for, you know, we, we talk a lot about like going forward and ownership in women's sports. And uh, this is an exciting model. I, I think. think so, too. Um, Got to get you, you guys know. out to a, to a game. We'll burn it all down road trip <sighs> when the world is slightly back to normal. Gosh, I cannot. I just want to go everywhere. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> and hug everyone. I'm not even a big hugger, yeah. but I just like, yep. <laughs> it's going to be great. All right. Thanks so much, thanks Sarah. Thanks for having me. Oh, wait, where can, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Oh, uh, at um, Sarah Spain, Sarah with an H, Spain like the country. And then Instagram is Spain2323. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks, guys.